0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Episode 3 of Beer, Brats, and Booyah, coming to you live from River West in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It's the Supper Club Sports Guys, uh, here with our Everything Wisconsin sports guest. I'm Marty Lamence. With me, as always, is co-host Tyler Albers. Tyler, how are you doing tonight, bud? Oh, just
0: frustrated, Marty.
1: Yeah, why is that?
0: Well, I gotta turn my... ESPN Bleacher Report stuff off. I can't go on any of my Facebook sports pages for the next two weeks because all I get to hear about is Tom Brady. And I don't know if I can handle that. Yeah. I'm over it. I saw a post yesterday. Someone compared to him to Michael Jordan saying he was as dominant as Michael Jordan when Tom Brady is two missed field goals away and a Malcolm Butler interception to being closer to Jim Kelly. That's all I want to
1: talk about it for right now. I uh, caught me at a wrong time. All right. Well, uh, I won't go any deeper into that because there's a couple uh, other plays we could mention that uh, may have kept the Patriots from uh, collecting pay dirt or at least uh, going to the Super Bowl in previous years. But, yeah, we'll save that for later. Otherwise, it was a pretty interesting weekend uh, as far as Wisconsin sports go. We had a nice Bucks win on uh, Sunday, or excuse me, on Saturday, and the uh, Badgers too pulled one out against number two Michigan at home at the Kohl Center. Uh, pretty surprising win, um, at least for me. What uh, what did you take away? What were your takeaways from from the game Saturday? I remember texting you the day before, uh,
0: being a little cocky, saying the Badgers were going to win. Um, I probably just thought that because it was a must win for the team. Being an undefeated, number two-ranked Michigan, you're at home. The wheels are starting to fall off a little bit. Greg guard, hot seats, um, conversation starting
1: up. It was just a win that I felt like they needed to have, and they pulled through. Yeah, it definitely felt like it was a uh, must-win game on Saturday with the loss earlier in the week to Maryland, where a 4-point loss where there was just a lot to, <laughs> there was a lot that was going wrong for for the Badgers that day and it just felt like, you know, the season was kind of like you said the wheels were coming off a little bit um and it was not looking good and it was a big time Comeback win against Michigan on Saturday. So definitely proud of the boys for pulling that
0: one out. Yeah, Ethan, I, I had a chance to see the whole game and rewatch it a little bit
1: too. And Ethan Happ was just
0: tremendous. He was going up against a a really nice uh, forward center guy that that, that Michigan has, uh, Tasky who, I mean, he he was like nine feet tall with his arms straight up in the air. And he played really well. And, you know, there were a couple of battles between him and and Hap that Teske kind of won. But Hap just kept on taking it to him. And when he gets that ball on the block, man, it's just you think, how is he going to score this time? And then all of a sudden it's a fake turnaround fadeaway left-handed hook shot that miraculously goes in over the guy's fingertips –
1: and Hat was doing that all game when the team needed it the most. Yeah, he is unbelievable at finishing under the basket. It is absolutely incredible. And like you said, too, it's, it's – uh, you don't know how he's going to do it when he gets the ball. You're like, wow, he's got double teamed and on the block. He's got nowhere to go, and somehow he splits the defenders or goes over the top of them and, and finds a way to finish. And all of that without drawing contact, uh, it's – it's pretty unbelievable to watch him play. And its I can't remember a more frustrating and a great player as Ethan has. It's just a conundrum.
0: Well, yeah, that's something you documented in a, an article you wrote this week about Badgers and their free throw percentages and their ability to take free throws and all of those things. Uh, touch, uh, touch more on that for me.
1: Sure. So yeah, this, uh, this week I wrote an article um, just because after watching the Maryland game, it felt like we just weren't getting to the line. Um, And when we were, we weren't making them. And then, you know, I was seeing all these uh, commenters online saying, you know, Bo Ryan wouldn't have had a team like this. Like they could always make their free throws. They always went to the line more than they, uh, their opponents made or excuse me, attempted shots. Um, So I kind of did like an in-depth look at how guards teams in his three years as head coach uh, have shot from the free throw line and then compared that to Bo Ryan's era, uh, obviously, which had a lot more years than guard has, but um, just to kind of get an idea of what we're dealing with. And um, really the thing that jumped out to me, it wasn't that, we we're making that many fewer free throws the last couple of years, but this year in particular, we are well below what our average is, um, you know, based on a couple uh, or the last two years and, and the Bo Ryan era this year, we're on pace to shoot about 320 some free throws. If we keep up our current pace. And that's compared to 400 a year before and 453 the year prior to that in 16 and 17. And when the Badgers were at their peak, when we went to two consecutive final fours with Bo Ryan, we shot 642 in 13 and 14 and uh, 584. And those are the makes. You know, we just made so many free throws. And, that's a big reason as to why we were able to win so many games. And this year we're just not getting to the line at the clip that's, necessary to compete in today's big 10.
0: That's an amazing stat that you brought up before. Uh,
1: the two, the two final four
0: teams made more free throws than their opponents attempted. Yeah. I don't even think that's possible. And you're right, that shows why they were so successful. Obviously, those teams had a little bit more talent, you know, Frank Kaminsky, Sam Decker, and so on and so forth. But when you told me, when I read those stats, that just blew my mind. And you're right, there's a downward trend. And teams that can't finish games at the free throw line or drive and draw contact to get to the free throw line I mean, you look at James Harden right now to talk the NBA. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of James Harden, but the guy still he shoots fifteen to twenty free throws a night and he puts him in and that's why he's such a successful player. The Badger team isn't being aggressive enough while driving, and you also said too, maybe there's a reason why Half isn't getting called getting calls
1: when he's down low. Yeah, who knows? You know, he He's so swift under the basket that he kind of like deeks out the opponent to the point where they kind of give way to the basket. So, I mean, a lot of his shots while they're contested, he finds a way to do it without drawing contact, which is a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's so interesting, man. We really could talk about Hap and his career as a bad, excuse me, as a badger <clears throat> all day. Like, he's in the top five in pretty much every major statistic in Wisconsin basketball history. Yet, there's something about him where we just know he's not elite, you know?
0: I mean, does it go to show you that in today's world, NBA, college basketball, you have to have, at least in Wisconsin's system, a five that can step out and at least make up at least a 15
1: footer to spread the defense a little bit, right? Yeah. Like 15. if Hap could hit a 15 footer, this team would be a lot more dangerous.
0: Absolutely. A lot of it is Hap getting it on the block. Are they going to double or not? When they double, can he find the open guy and can the open guy hit a three or if Hap's on the top of the key. The the defender the can sag down so much, you know, just kind of clogging up the lane, maybe not allowing the Badgers to drive as much as they want to
1: and force those fouls at the hoop. Right. We're pretty much living within five feet of the basket and then like 25 feet from the basket, you know, like that's the only yeah. way that we can score points.
0: Yeah. Besides the, a trice dribble pop-up shot, that's exactly what our offense is right now. And I don't know. I mean, we talked about this before. What do you think about Greg Gard in a sense? you think he's on the hot seat right now? I mean, if the Badgers, even though they're coming off a huge win, if they don't make the tournament or get, you know, a poor seat in the tournament, do you think Greg Gard's on the hot seat then?
1: Yeah, I don't think I can deny that. I, I don't know that that's warranted necessarily. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we've been so good for so long, and we have very high expectations. And when you have a player who's a Nye Smith Trophy finalist, uh, he should probably make the tournament and have a pretty decent seat. So um, I definitely can understand why he would be on the hot seat but at the same time, you and I have discussed this as well. Um, he just doesn't have a big right now who can shoot the three and stretch the floor like the traditional Wisconsin swing offense has operated. And, uh, you know, he – Hap, I'm sure he did help in the recruitment of Hap, obviously, as an assistant under Bo, Um, But he's not really fully guards, recruit. And as we've seen in the last couple of games, Guard has kind of made the adjustment to get Reavers involved more in the offense. And that's, you know, Reavers is Guard's big recruitment uh, or recruit. And he's proven the last couple of weeks, in my opinion, that, like, he's pretty good. He can ball. So I think you got to let Guard have at least one more full year. <laughs> Uh, after this season with his team and his recruits, and I think that would be the most fair assessment of what he's done in, in Wisconsin and Madison. What do you think?
0: Guys, like you were saying, primarily with a, a five that can actually stretch the floor a little bit. Now, I'm not going to knock. I'm not trying to knock on half at all. He's one of my favorite Badgers of all time. I love watching the kid play but it's not the traditional Bo Ryan swing offense anymore. I, I mean, I was looking back every year that Bo Ryan had coached. I, I can't really think of a center or a five that he played a lot of minutes that, that couldn't shoot a three, or at least the other team had to respect an open shot. I mean, I looked at it. There's way back in 2001, 2002, when Bo Ryan started, he had a guy named Dave Mater that he inherited. And he got his sophomore year, the first year that Ryan was coaching, he had 15 minutes a game, didn't attempt a at three the entire year. By the time Mater was a senior, he was only averaging nine minutes a game, and he still hadn't attempted a three in his entire year. So, you know, Bo Ryan kind of had that system, kind of like with Greg Stevenson. Teamswell was the only player on that team during that time with Brian Butch that actually made a dent in the NBA. Yet he only averaged 10 minutes a game because the guy couldn't hit an open three. So now guard has inherited Ethan half and you can't not play one of the best college basketball players in the country, but you just kind of have to live and adjust to a, you know, to a scheme that you're not used to doing the whole time that he's been an assistant coach. So I'm really interested in seeing what happens when he does get that five that the opponents have to respect when he's behind the three-point
1: line. And it it makes me anxious to see how he can continue to make adjustments this year as well with obviously he's made adjustments with taking Hap out in certain parts at the end of the game. If it's a game where we have a small lead where they're just going to be following Hap to – create more opportunities for their offense. I'm interested to see how he can, you know, change his mindset with that and how he can increase Reavers productive productivity going forward yeah, in the Big Ten. I don't know. It's pretty interesting.
0: It is, and I'm not by any means giving up on this team this year. That was a huge win. That was a great win. This could get this could build into a you know, four or five game winning streak in the Big Ten, and then all of a sudden everything's right. It it is key, like you are saying. Reavers, I mean, he put on what thirty thirty five pounds this past off season. He's just yeah, I think they said forty. Confidence. Yeah, I mean that's that's amazing, right? He's you know he's just got to gain confidence. So next year, when he knows, you know, he's going to be one of the main guys. And with the guard play, I mean, I'm still not. Davidson doesn't know what to do right now because he's not running the offense like he was last year. And Trice uh, he reminds me of uh, what was his name God, uh, I'm drawing a blank right now but a guy that's like no, 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 yes yes, yes or what are you doing uh, Just he's, Trice is a frustrating point guard for me right now uh, You thinking of Trey Jackson? Yeah, Trey Jackson would definitely be one of them too uh, but Trey Jackson wasn't a focal point of the team. And like, uh, for example, the Badgers did not finish the game well against Michigan. You know, Davidson had the ball after an offensive rebound and he had to give it up to Trice instead of just running the offense through him. And then Trice got the ball stolen from him. Michigan went down and scored. It's just, I don't know. I, I just would like to see him play more consistently and, and, protect the ball a little better that's all i'm saying and can we maybe let davison run the offense i'm just saying it doesn't have to be trice if davison gets the rebound davison can dribble up he does he shouldn't have to defer to trice all the time the de facto point guard you got two guys who can play point guard ish because davison did that last year just let davison be confident in what he's doing and not have to say oh where's trice i gotta give him the ball right away oh, I'm taking it up right now. Is Trice mad or is Coach mad because I'm not giving him the ball? Just let both of those guys do
1: their thing. Yeah, it seems to make sense to me. You know, like, why is it so important that Trice has to be the ball handler? And it's not like he's, you know, Devin Harris or Jordan Taylor or, you know, Bronson Koenig. I I don't really understand why it has to run through him.
0: And it's a swing offense. I mean, any, anybody can really run the point in the swing offense, you know, th- one through three in that offense. Right? And then half can even take the ball. Up. Half the time half takes the ball up and just starts it off right away. So I don't, I don't know why that's going on. I'd just like to see Davidson get a little bit more confidence in his role so he knows what he's doing so he doesn't have to second guess himself sometimes.
1: Yeah, it seems like that is definitely the weakest part of our team right now. Is I mean, obviously Haps inability to shoot, but aside from that, um, it's just the inconsistent guard play. There's so many turnovers and like sloppy mistakes, and then just missed shots or missed shot opportunities when they put the ball on the deck instead. Um, it's definitely been like the most glaring issue with Badger basketball, in my opinion.
0: Yep, but. We did get a big win, so we should be a little bit happy, right?
1: Right. Yes. We uh for <laughs> yeah, for beating a number 2 team in the country. We sound very pessimistic right now, but it was a big win. We just uh there's definitely much room for improvement. It definitely wasn't Michigan's best game on Saturday. So they'll be waiting for us at the Breslin Center. Can't wait. So let's move on. You uh, you had sent me a message earlier this week about uh, the MLB Network's top ten right fielder like countdown, um, and you had attached an image of Ron Darling's placement of Christian Yelich, uh, which was at number four in Major League Baseball, and you are were, you weren't happy with that. Let's tell me why. <laughs> So, Yelly
0: was – first of all, MLB Network is doing a great thing. I think it's their 10-year anniversary. So, every week, I believe, they're doing a position. They're doing the test, uh, the the 10 best right fielders or 10 best uh, shortstops or what have have you, uh, right now in the league. And then they do the 10 best in the last decade. And it's actually a really well-done show. Uh, I I had not seen it was a preview of the thing that Ron Darling put out and he, he's not even on the show. It's just a MLB network thing um, that, you know, he, he's just part of that. He put up his thing, but Yeli on his list was behind Mookie Betts, which you can't really argue Aaron judge and Bryce Harper. And I had a little bit of problem with Aaron judge and Bryce Harper ahead of So What do you think? It, I mean, was I okay to be a little mad about that?
1: Well, hear me out. I don't think necessarily that you're wrong, but it depends on what best right fielder right now means. You know, does it mean like that who had the best season in 2018 or who has the most upside going into 2019 you know, I don't know how I interpret the question. If it's who's the best right fielder right now, you definitely cannot save anything. But I mean, Mookie Betts, he's number one. That's fine. I'm not going to argue that. Like you said, that's fine. Uh, Aaron Judge, you know, he's super young. He's getting paid like $600,000. Like he's making no money. It's crazy for what he's doing. And Bryce Harper, you know, third uh and he's getting paid 21 million dollars or last year in 2018 he made 21 million dollars and you know he batted 250 he didn't have a very good year uh and Judge only played in like 110 games or something last year so i can see where you're coming from but Bryce Harper is kind of you know a reigning MVP first of all he's the darling of the MLB aside from Trout you know Everyone loves Harper. They always plug him big time. And Judge, too. Judge is now part of that machine. He's in New York. You know, East Coast bias, as uh, we're used to saying here in the Midwest and in Wisconsin, it seems. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, looking at their numbers, uh, Christian Yelich had an amazing 2018. He had a better OBP, slugging, and OPS than both Harper and Judge. So, like, why isn't he number two? I don't know. Tell me – give me your explanation here.
0: Why, why isn't he number two? Okay, I, I am okay, actually, because if you're going to say best right fielder right now, you're going to have to go off the last two years at least if you want to make a valid argument. You could say right now, last season, sure, but obviously you got to look at the work prior to last year. And Christian Yelich was a very good player two years ago. I mean, borderline all-star, nothing like he did this past year. Aaron Judge, he had 52 bombs, right? You know, he he was, his OPS was over one. He was crazy good. So I think that's part of the reason why they put Judge over Yelich, and obviously he plays for New York. But I think I was looking at the home and away splits, and his last year, he, he, he's kind of hurt and everything, but last year, Judge hit 278. He had a 392 on base percentage and a 528 slugging, which are all really good numbers. But away from Yankee Stadium, which has that little vortex in the middle where a ball just carries, away from that place, he only hit 212. With a 315 on base percentage and a 378 slugging. Now you're going to say, Tyler, well, the reason Christian Yelich propelled to superstardom is because he went to Miller Park and has that right field porch. Sure, he hit more home runs than he ever did in his career. He actually doubled what he did last year uh, from 2017, but his away splits last year. In his National League MVP season, he batted three twenty eight with a three ninety nine on on-base percentage and a five forty five slugging away from Miller Park. I mean, right there, you have to, without any bias whatsoever, if you just look at some raw numbers, you have to give Yelly a little bit more respect.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty incredible split. Thanks for sharing that. That is incredible. And Yelich did, you know, get to pad his stats with that insane September that he had, uh, plus the game 163 in which we went into Wrigley and uh, stole their hearts in the NL Central. Is
0: Is that a holiday now in Wisconsin?
1: If not, it should be. Definitely one of the most exciting and greatest moments recently for me as a Brewer fan. Just loved it.
0: Just loved it. So, again, I was a little mad just because you know Yelly is he's a soft-spoken guy. He doesn't have the whole persona of a Bryce Harper, and he doesn't play in New York. So I felt like he was just getting a, a little bit disrespected at four. When I did watch the show, three of the sabermetric people that they brought on all had Yellich at number two because these were guys that just said stats don't lie. We're not going to look at the person or where he plays. So he did still get respect in the end. And you know what? If Judge is ahead of him, I can see why. Not just because of the Yankee thing. He was a little hurt last year. You know he's going to have a rebound here. The dude did put up 52 bombs two years ago. He does play a good right field. So I get it. It's a horse apiece. Bryce Harper needs to get the hell out of there, though. The dude's had two phenomenal seasons, and he's been good for the, his other seasons. I don't know who's going to sign him but they're going to waste their money unless he can
1: stay healthy and he can be consistent. Yeah. And that's a whole topic for another day. The whole MLB free agency, um, like the, just how long it's taking for these guys to go and how much these, um, ball or the clubs are kind of like, you know, not necessarily colluding, but maybe, uh, just to not spend these crazy amounts on 10 year contracts, you know, they've, they've seen the mistakes in, you know, previous years with guys like Pujols and Prince Fielder, et cetera, those are just busts almost immediately. You know, no one wants to make that risk anymore.
0: Yeah. That's a whole nother thing too. It'll be interesting to see what happens with collective bargaining, but I think, Teams and GMs are—it's—it's it's a sabermetric league now, and you, your franchise is going to do better if you have cheap, controllable talent. And then when you need to make a move, like a one-year, sixteen and a half million dollar signing of one of the best catchers in free agency, then you can. But you're uh, to tie up so much money with guaranteed money. In a time like this, it's just it's, – I'm not going to say I feel bad for these millionaires that are missing out on some money, but, you know, it does kind of suck for
1: them. Right, and especially when you consider that, you know, all these lower-paid younger dudes who are under control, you know, they're costing the club less. So then the owners are pocketing their money or they're uh, lining their pockets even more with money, and then they're not spending it to improve their team. Although we've seen here in Milwaukee that uh, Stearns and Atanasio have started to work together a little bit on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. Um, not yeah, Milwaukee. I think At- Atanasio's a small market owner. He's doing a good job, but it's just like you were mentioning before, how Aaron Judge is getting paid what six hundred thousand dollars. He's a top three right fielder in Major League Baseball. And Yankee fans are kind of mad this offseason because, you know, they have to pay for half of that new stadium. And they're mad that the Yankees aren't doing Steinbrenner things and just throwing, you know, $200 million at the
1: best free agent or $300 million at Manny Machado. And I don't blame those fans. I mean, it's not their money. Why not let them? You know, just spend it, sign these guys, make the team better, and win a World Series. Isn't that what it's all about? (laughs) Only if it was that simple, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, it definitely has worked for the Yankees on a few occasions, but they've built a really good team right now, and they definitely don't really need to go out and make a huge splash.
0: They have, and Cashman's done a great job of kind of changing the narrative in New York, because you remember back when we had CeCe in Milwaukee for half a year, and he's he could come back to Milwaukee anytime and we could throw a parade for the guy. And he was here for half a year. Well, that offseason they signed, <laughs> <laughs> they signed what CC Sabathia. Uh, what other free agents is that? The same year they picked up Alex Rodriguez. Uh, it's definitely the same year they picked up Deshera. Deshera, that's what it was. And then they they picked up that pitcher from the Pirates, Burnett, I think. Yeah, and they AJ spent, Burnett. Like, yeah, they spent over three three hundred seventy million dollars that off season and they won a World Series. That's that's just not happening anymore. Which is good. But they kinda gotta figure it out in in collective bargaining before these players strike. I mean
1: if if there's a baseball strike, I don't know what I would do in the summer. On a really sad note, just every time I think about it, that signing of Tashera cost the Brewers a chance at getting Mike Trout in the compensatory oh, draft picks.
0: That's right, yeah.
1: Because Teixeira was Teixeira deemed was a better Yes. And they deemed that, that was a uh Teixeira was, you know, a more valuable loss to the Angels than C was to the Brewers, so The Angels got the 25th pick, and the Brewers got the 26th. Ugh. And who knows if the Brewers would have taken Trout. But They wanted him. They wanted Trout. We can talk about
0: that next episode. I can bring up the article. I've read that article before where the Brewers were going to jump on Mike Trout. It's kind of like a Giannis thing with Atlanta. That's a whole other story, though.
1: Yeah, we'll have to do another episode of that. That sounds fun. Man, you're to end the show on a depressing note here. Ending the show
0: on a depressing note, Marty.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's just share our depression with uh, some that some NFL fan bases might be feeling after yesterday's postseason. Uh, There's a couple controversial calls. Uh, Obviously, the evil empire of the NFL is going back again. And the Patriots to the Super Bowl for, Uh, I don't know how many, the third straight year. I don't know how many in the uh, last 10, too many. But what do you think of these? uh, Sorry, go
0: ahead. You'd think eventually that the NFL would make sure the refs don't allow the Patriots to get to the Super Bowl because nobody outside of New England and outside of L.A. and – St. Louis, probably, because they're still following that team. Poor St. Louis, by the way. Oh, my God. you lose <laughs> your football team, and two years later, they go back to the Super Bowl. Uh, never mind. I don't care about St. Louis. But Yeah, I don't feel bad. Tom Brady, he's the GOAT. Whatever. I hate the term. It's dumb. But if, if someone had to be a GOAT right now, it would be Tom Brady. He was great in the fourth quarter. He was great in overtime. When he wasn't great, is when that outside linebacker, that was Ford, right, on the Chiefs? Uh, yeah, D. Ford. Yes. It might be a Packer next year, I hope. But inexplicably lined up offside. Dude, just line up on onside. You're looking down at the ball. You can look at the ref, and he can tell you if you're on side or not. Lines up offside, and Brady throws a pick. Of course. Of course he throws a pick when the guy lines up off sides and then Brady gets the ball back and two plays later, they score a touchdown in typical Patriots fashion. I can't handle this anymore, Marty. I don't
1: think I can follow sports for two weeks. Uh, You sound like me after a painful Packers loss. I just can't watch sports center or any ESPN or anything for two weeks, but I feel you. I'm sick of it. I'm so sick of it but you know what I'm still going to watch I'm going to watch and I'm going to eat nachos and I'm going to have
0: some chicken wings and I'm going to drink a couple beers and I'll be with my friends at some party somewhere because it's a pretty much a national holiday now yes I will and I just don't like I like cheering for teams when I'm watching sports fun to cheer against teams but the Patriots can't win another Super Bowl. They just can't. They just can't. It's just – if Rodgers even wins one more in his time with Green Bay, who cares if Brady won three – or two in the last three years?
1: Yeah, man, it's – those guys are unbelievable over there. And as soon as that play got called back, that interception got called back, you knew they were going to win. Everyone knew
0: you knew they were going to you knew it was, if it went to overtime you knew the patriots were going to win the coin toss and then you knew on third and long brady's going to find somebody and throw a dart and they're going to catch the ball and it's going to be a first down that happened like twice or three times in overtime actually
1: three um, times on third eight. and
0: 10 I believe, and and Andy Reid I mean okay he, you know he has he has ties to the Mike Holmgren era and we, we love the Walrus, right? What is he not doing? What is he doing not calling a timeout towards the end of overtime when his defensive line and his defense is completely gassed? You have three yeah. timeouts. You can't just sit on those. Give your boys a rest. They, they look like deer in headlights. At that point in time, oh, it, just, it just takes a fresh running back that just got brought in to run over arm tackles and fall into the end zone. I don't get it.
1: Yeah, you know, I didn't really think about that, but that's a very good point, man. Why would you? And then, like, you could notice they were noticeably gassed. You know, I'm watching these guys. I'm like, oh, man, they're just, they're, they're beat. There's no way they're going to stop these guys right now. Burke yeah. had just sliced right through them. He did. He did
0: because he had fresh legs and, you know, he, had,
1: oh, man.
0: Can we talk about the Rams-Saints game real quick? Yes, of course. Because I'd like to move Let's on to
1: Tom Brady and Patriots. So did you end up
0: getting a chance to see the uh, pass interference that wasn't called?
1: I did see the pass interference, yes. Or the, the non-called. Unbelievable.
0: I mean, even if it wasn't pass interference,
1: I mean, that's that's a blow to the head, right? Yeah, I think there's like two things you could call, you, or three. You could call the blow to the head. You could call pass interference, or if like they're saying the ball wasn't in the air or something, you call illegal contact,
0: or like Saints hands to the screwed.
1: face. Like,
0: yeah, the Saints, the Saints got screwed on that play. Now, what do you say about what is the NFL? Because Sean Payton said that he called the league office right after the game. And the league office apologized and said that the referee got the call wrong. Well, good for Sean Payton and the Saints knowing that uh, that the refs got the call wrong. But what do you actually do about this? Uh, are we going to change a rule where in the playoffs we get to review every single pass interference? Or is it in the playoffs you get to review any kind of pass interference underneath you know, two minutes? Uh, the league has to fix this. This is a nightmare situation for the league because everybody's talking about that
1: non-call instead of talking about the Rams going to the playoffs or going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And this isn't the first time that there's been a controversial play that's changed the course of a game. I mean, the Packers were on the receiving end of one of the calls that you know helped us win a game at Lambeau with the whole Des caught it. And then you have obviously the tuck rule and I'm sure there's many more that aren't as, you know, forefront in my memory, but there have been a ton of times where a a very big playoff game has been decided by a non-call or some weird controversial play. And there's something every year. I don't know. How can you fix it? It's something different all the time. Obviously, you can do something with the post, uh, with the penalties situation with, like, replays, but there's just always going to be something, you know?
0: There is, and, and it's tough. I mean, I'm not going to try to pile on the ref right here. I mean, all of that in – I mean, we have instant replay from 50 different angles to see whether that was a foul or not. And the refs might have – just been looking at pass interference. Maybe it was close enough that it wasn't pass interference, and then maybe he didn't want to decide the game on a shot to the head that he thought maybe wasn't a shot to the head. I mean, this is real time that these human beings have to see this and make a call in the most pivotal moments of the game. So it's it's a hard job. Obviously, it's about getting the right people to do the job. Maybe refs need to be full-time, and they, they shouldn't go and do their – you know, you know that refs are not full time NFL refs. They're they're lawyers and they're accountants, right? And they have other jobs. Maybe it's time the NFL, with with the the money that these players are getting paid, and how much money they generate from the Super Bowl. Maybe it's time for them to give us a better product and give us full time referees that don't make these kind of mistakes.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, and I remember hearing that a few years back too. Like, why not just make these guys full time? And I honestly just assumed that they did. Um, yeah, it's crazy that it's not a full time position.
0: Well, I don't know. That's that's obviously another conversation for another day. Uh, it's. I wish we could be talking about the Packers going to the Super Bowl, but you know, hopefully, hopefully
1: that happens soon. The Matt Lafleur era. <laughs> Yeah, another thing I heard actually about a a possible remedy uh, for this sort of situation was um, on Dan Patrick this morning. Chris Collinsworth was a guest, and he had said, you know, why not have like the head of referees, you know, whoever that is, like watching from New York or wherever he is, why don't they have the ability to like chime down? in like a big time play situation and just be like, Hey, you guys might want to huddle up and reconsider that call or not necessarily reconsider, but like just, Hey, look at that play again, or, you know, ask another official if they had better eyes on something, Um, you know, not necessarily influencing the course of the game, but at least, you know, trying to steer the officials in the right direction. What do do you think about that?
0: I don't mind that at all. I mean, the the only thing I think replay is important. I can't believe that there wasn't replay when we were younger. I couldn't imagine the NFL without it because it just seems like the refs miss so many calls sometimes. Um, Playoff game, Jerry Rice fumbled, um, you know, things like that. (laughs) But I don't want NFL games to last four and a half hours. I want them to get it right. But I have a big problem with every time there like a play happens that the refs need to huddle for three minutes. I mean, it might help like with two minutes left in the game, there's already built up suspense. You're kind of in it. Like it's okay if you have to wait a little bit. It's like you're watching a a mystery or a drama or something like it, it builds the drama. Actually, so I'm fine with that, but just like you know, minute 11 53 seconds in the second quarter, and then now we got to take five minutes looking at a potential pass interference call that should have been called pass interference. I like that's not what I want, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do, and then here's another perspective from Collinsworth or another idea where he said, what if you just had two challenges like we do now, Well, you can challenge any play you want, anything you want, pretty much a penalty, like say an opponent had a 80 yard touchdown run. You can challenge that play. And it's, you know, possible that it gets called back on like a holding call or something. And you just kind of like, like, well, there's a big play. Let's see if we can, you know, get them, Catch them somewhere, even if you don't have proof or evidence. Oh uh, yeah, I
0: don't know if I like that.
1: But you only
0: get two challenges. You only get two. Okay, so they're not going to do it unless they know that something egregious happened during the play.
1: Pretty much, like you could do it on a big play, and like maybe that's like the, you know, the downside of that. But you say you did that twice, and you'd have to be right, you know. I don't know. It seems like that would be a big yeah. to take.
0: I don't know if I like that because what this sets it up for is it's 30 to 23. There's, you know, 59 seconds left in the game. Rogers throws the Cobb and he scampers down the field for 80 yards, scores a touchdown. Looks like this thing's going to go to overtime. And then they challenge the play. And Devontae Adams is on the other side of the field and he blocks somebody in the back that had nothing to do with the success of the play or not. And then they call blocking in the back. And then, then all of a sudden it's Packers ball again on the 10 yard line and they need to try to score like that. I feel like that might ruin the game a little bit.
1: Yeah. It's a slippery slope. Yeah. I I didn't, you know, say whether I thought he was right or wrong. Just thought they were interesting ideas. Oh, yeah. I'm talking, and,
0: to, I'm talking to Collinsworth right now because,
1: you know, I don't think Collins. I'm, I am I like – what do you – how do you feel about Collinsworth? I don't really like the guy that much, honestly. Sometimes he makes some pretty good analysis, but I'm just – you know, this has been too many years of hearing the same guys over and over again. Like, we just sure. need to, like, recycle through all these guys, get some new fresh blood in there, you know? And I'm just tired Here's of hearing guy his voice. that needs
0: a new take <laughs> every
1: time he talks. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yes. Oh, gosh. I'm actually glad. Like, So I was watching the games yesterday with uh, family, and we were like kind of going between bars and stuff and uh, didn't have to hear any of the game audio, which was a relief. There you go. Yeah, there's
0: nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's great. I mean, we're we're blessed in Wisconsin when it comes to radio for TV announcers, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we really are. Every single sport that we have, like, I feel like we have pretty great commentary, both radio and TV. And, like, it's pretty incredible.
0: It is. It is. So I think we're kind of, when we don't get a chance to hear the audio of the game, like, we're kind of spoiled. In that sense, and I feel like a lot of different uh, people, fans around the the country, they probably don't care. But sometimes it's like, dude, can you turn the can you turn the sound on? I want to hear Brian
1: Anderson call this game quick.
0: You know, you know what I mean?
1: Right, exactly. Or and Lapay doing Badger football and basketball. It's like one of my favorite things to do is listen to him call a game. Like there's something about it. And we're also really spoiled that. When Brian Anderson is doing NBA coverage, LaPay comes over and does Brewer games. It's incredible. We get to hear LaPay pretty much every season of the year. It's amazing. We're so spoiled. He's one of the, he's one of the most underrated in the business. And we're not
0: even going to start to talk about Bob Euchre because we all know that Bob Euchre is the greatest. Right, he's Losing it a little bit. But, you know, I mean, there's nothing like listening to Bob Euchre in a you know, July-Sunday Brewer game. I don't know if anything beats
1: that I have to agree with you on that And I can't wait to start listening Again, we actually are one month away From the first spring training game So we got that to look forward to In 31 days And uh, Man. then we can hear the dulcet tones Of Bob Uecker Can't wait It'll, it'll so we're getting pretty close. Pressure. Maybe we should do a maybe we should do a show for that. Let's do a show for the uh the spring training season opener. I think we should. Maybe we should fly out to uh Arizona. Yeah, we'll see if uh we can get some corporate sponsors uh for that. So um that's not gonna happen. But <laughs> <I'm at Cafe laughs> dream big. <at> Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. Dream big. Yep. Uh, Dino's River West, are you listening? Yeah, we'll uh, <laughs> we'll plug you guys big time. Dino's River West, uh, right up the road from uh,
0: Black Husky. Are you kidding
1: me? Yeah, right up the road, Black Husky and uh, Tracks Tavern right there too. Uh, we can. Oh, uh, Tracks Tavern, one of the best best fish fries in Wisconsin. I'm telling you. <laughs> Yep. We're, uh, we're going to be sending them this tape right after this. And, um, you'll be hearing from us in Arizona. They'll just have to suffer through 50 minutes of sports babble. Yeah, it's definitely become babble at this point. So, um, let's, uh, let's call it an episode and another fun 50 minutes with you, buddy, here on the beer, brats and booyah supper club sports podcast. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to the drivel and, uh, if you enjoyed follow it, on Facebook. follow us on Facebook. We're on Facebook. We have, uh, some articles on there, uh, at article we, uh, sharing memes and all sorts of interesting little stats. Um, just, yeah, be sure to give us a follow and, uh, tell your friends in on the conversation. Yeah. Don't be afraid. All right. Thanks again, Tyler for, uh, for calling in as always. It's always a blast and, Look forward to talking with you next weekend, all right? You too, buddy. Take care. All right, take care. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. That is the Supper Club Sports Beer Brats and Booyah Wisconsin Sports Talk Hour. Thanks again. Go Brewers. Go Packers. Go Bucks. Go Badgers. We're out.